you're like me, you're still kind of basking in the glow and probably the turkey of Thanksgiving because when you, when you think about it, it is an incredible holiday, I think, for several reasons. First of all, it's really, really hard to commercialize Thanksgiving, although I have seen inflatable turkeys in some of your yards, and I would just say it's disgusting and wrong. But for the most part, for most of us, it's really, really hard to commercialize pilgrims. Second, uh, Thanksgiving just seems to have the right focus. When you think about Thanksgiving, you think about family, about home, you think about traditions, you think about relationships. I mean, there is a reason that it is the most traveled holiday of the year. But third, I think Thanksgiving is probably the one holiday where we think more about other people than we think of ourselves. It just seems to come more naturally on Thanksgiving. But as great of a holiday as it is, my guess is some of you are sitting here uh, two days removed, three days removed from Thanksgiving and the celebration and the family arriving, and you're still having a really, really tough time figuring out what you have going on in your life that's worthy to give thanks to God for what he's doing. And I get that. I understand that because I know that for some of you, this year has been an incredibly tough year. And for some of you, you, you have experienced uh, trauma and losses in your life and your family that would destroy many people. But you're here. And I often think when we're going through those tough times, maybe that's why God gave us Psalm 103. Because if you've ever read the psalm, you know that it just kind of helps us keep everything in perspective. Because David, when he writes this song, he highlights five things that we have to be thankful for. Even when we don't think we have anything to be thankful for. As I said, we know that David wrote the psalm. We don't know the circumstances that led him to write this in Psalm 103 verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. And when I was younger and I would read that psalm, I just assumed that maybe David wrote that after a victorious battle. Or maybe it was after a time of prosperity in the nation of Israel. Or maybe it was after some great celebration. But now that I've gotten older and maybe wiser, I wonder if David wrote those words after maybe one of the many heartbreaks that he had to work through in his life. For example... Maybe it was during that 14-year period where he was on the run for his life from King Saul, maybe hunkered down in the back of a cave, when he began to write, praise the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Or maybe, maybe it was after the affair with Bathsheba. Or maybe it was after he put the plan into motion to have her husband murdered. By the way, does it encourage you? That the man who's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart has adultery and murder in his resume. I mean, think about it. The Bible doesn't say that about anybody else except David. And it describes David as a man after God's own heart. And it doesn't say it just once. It actually says it twice. But maybe it was after one of those tough events that David had to go through where he sat down and he began to put everything back in perspective. And maybe that's why he said in verse 2, praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of his benefits. And then David goes on in this psalm and he gives us five reasons that we can be thankful during this season regardless of the circumstances that surround our lives. Let me just give them to you quickly one at a time. David begins by reminding us in verse 3 that God is the one who forgives all our sin. I like the way the New American Standard puts it. It says God is the one who pardons all of our iniquities. I want you to hear a great story from someone's life. Her name is Becky who experienced that forgiveness in her own life. Watch the side screens. I loved my childhood. I loved growing up in a small town. I was free-spirited, just ran around from sun up till sundown. 
I had been so used to being a child and just having this freedom of playing in the woods and we moved here to Raleigh and all of a sudden I lived in a big city and I was being told no. I just felt like there was a recklessness about me. Unfortunately, that led me down a very dire path. I dropped out of high school and ran away at 16. There was no sort of direction in my life whatsoever. I ended up getting a job at probably the worst dive bar that you could ever imagine. And all of a sudden, in comes a drug dealer. Well, of course, my radar immediately goes to this person and they offer me some drugs and I, the drug that I start taking is cocaine. There was a point in my life where cocaine ruled my life. I ended up dancing, which is a nice way of saying stripping, to support that habit. It hurts your heart. It gives you misconceptions about what it feels like to be a woman, about what it feels like to be loved, um, about who we should be and how we should be treated by a man. It, it makes us think wrongly about how God created men and who they are. It makes us feel ugly. I remember thinking that was I going to go to hell? And if I called out to God, would He save me for all that I had done? You know, God was not going to give up on me. My parents said they were going to go to a place called Hope, and I went and I got there and I sat and listening to what this guy had to say and I thought I was going to have to get up and leave again because it was really uncomfortable. It was upsetting because I felt like he was talking to me. So I went home. At some point, I ended up getting a phone call. It was Pastor Mike, and um, he said he was calling up to talk to me about a job, but what that looked like to me was hope, a way out. So I came in, and I met with him, and that was almost 14 years ago. I've been here ever since. I had been ashamed and sorry for so long that it was such a relief to know that I was accepted. He knew I was so grateful for bringing me back. Today, <laughs> my life is much different. <laughs> Christ is at the center of my life. And because of that, I have so much joy. I would never, ever return to that life because God is always on the throne, and I'm blessed because of it.
It's an incredible story. You know what? 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He forgives our sins. He pardons us. But let's be honest. If you've been around church for a while and you've been a Christian for a while, that's something that we probably take for granted when we overlooked. But can you imagine what it would be like to blow it in a really, really big way? And you go to God and you confess it and you ask for forgiveness. And this time his response is, no, don't think so. Nope, you've crossed the line. And now you have to live with the guilt and the shame and the sense of condemnation for the rest of your life. Now, thankfully, that's not the case. David said he forgives your sin. He pardons all of your iniquities. And not only does he forgive, as you continue to bring those sins to him, he just continues to forgive. He continues to pardon them. I mean, the blood of Jesus Christ is like an eternal detergent that just keeps scrubbing at our lives and washing away that sin. And there's a great uh, verse in the book of Psalms that says that when we come to him and we ask forgiveness, he takes our sin and he moves it as far as the east is from the west and he doesn't even remember it anymore. I think that's what caused the apostle Paul to write in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if this Thanksgiving, if you're just really struggling to find something to be thankful for, maybe it will help to remember what it's like to live under the weight and the condemnation and the shame and the guilt of sin. And remember that he is the one who forgives all your sins, who pardons all your iniquities. David goes on to say in verse 3, he heals all your diseases. And to be honest with you, this isn't talking about physical disease, although sometimes God does intervene in our life and he does do that. But it's interesting, David uses a little Hebrew word here that describes what we would probably refer to as diseases of the soul. In other words, he's talking about diseases in our lives that, that kind of paralyze us. And if we're not careful, they can prevent us from living the life that God designed for us to live. I'm talking about diseases like hatred, diseases like strife or bitterness or maybe stubbornness, pride, resentment, maybe even anger. So David, as he's remembering, as he's praising God, he says, oh yeah, he's the one who heals those diseases. He takes them all away. I want you to hear an incredible story of a young man in our church. He's actually the campus pastor at our Holly Springs campus. And I want you to hear how God healed his emotional disease. I actually gave my life to Christ when I was a senior in high school. And since then, I kind of thought I had life all figured out. Um, had. Uh, have a beautiful wife and two awesome kids and uh, I was a, a teacher and a high school soccer coach and, and kind of thought that was life for me. Kind of had a plan and was living it out and as we went about life, kind of thought we understood where we were going until, um, until one day things changed and we, uh, four years ago we got news. Uh, I'm actually genetically predisposed with a 50% chance of inheriting a, a, a terrible disease um, and the disease has been described as a mix of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and schizophrenia kind of all wrapped up into one disease where you you lose emotional ability physical and mental kind of slowly but surely there, there's no cure for it there's not even a treatment um, and symptoms typically start showing up in your 30s and 40s it lasts about 10 or 15 years and, and ends uh, ultimately in death every time. 
You know, odds of dying of, of cancer or, or of heart disease are, are one in seven, but the odds of me dying from this disease are one in two. And then the odds, if I have it, for my children, one in two, that, that, is, that is tough. Just a coin toss. Um, those odds will, will haunt you. We wanted to get tested. That, that the unknown was, was too much. It was keeping us up at night, and we just wanted to, to know one way or another so that we could, so we could move on. And as we waited there um, in the waiting room for what seemed like an eternity, uh, eventually they, they call my name, and uh, Cindy and I get up. We walk through um, the doorway. We, we follow the nurse back to meet the neurologist, and um, right there before we even get into the room I was going to, she kind of grabs me and says, you don't have it, you're healthy, you're negative, and your children have no chance of getting it either. I was told one thing, that I might be sick, um, and then went through a period of time not knowing. And then I was told that I wasn't sick, yet I couldn't go back, I couldn't stop, I couldn't undo the things that, that I had thought about and, and the way that I wanted to live my life. Uh, moving forward. I, I know every story doesn't have a happy ending like this one and I want to live my life in a way that is is remembering um, that God is faithful and uh, I look forward to the day where uh, my kids will be old enough where they'll comprehend what happened uh, four years ago and I'll get the chance um, to share with them that that this disease, uh, it, it ended with me, that, the, that I don't have it and that they have no chance of getting it. And, and not just for the disease, but that, that this points to a God who loves us um, and a God who redeemed us. Uh, that'll be a great day. So my question is simply this. When is the last time you just set aside some time and you just thank God for the healing he's done in your life? Maybe healing from hatred, anger, resentment, bitterness, right? I'll be honest with you, over this last year, he's had to come into my life and do a number of inside jobs that only he and I know about. And if that's also the case for you, let me just remind you, be thankful, be grateful. Because God is the one who heals those diseases. He's the one that puts us back together again. He's the one who makes us whole. But David's not finished. He goes on to say in verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. What does it mean to be redeemed? It's a beautiful picture of the Old Testament in the days of slavery. And a slavery would be bought into the, the center of town and he would be put on the auction block and he would be chained and he would be shackled. And literally the slave owners or those there to purchase a slave, they would walk around and they would examine him and they would look for any maybe physical ailment or infirmity or maybe any damage to that slave. And then they would bid on that slave as if they were bidding on a horse or an animal. And then they would take that slave home and that slave would be a slave for the rest of their life. But this redeemed is this idea that that one day a slave owner came and, and they, he saw a slave and he purchased him. And then after he purchased him, he took out a key and he began to unlock the locks and the shackles and the chains. And as those shackles and chains fell off, that slave was set free to be the person that God had called them to be. I mean, imagine that, this idea of being a slave your whole life and now all of a sudden you're purchased and you're set free and everything changes. That's Julian's story. 
My name is Julian Debro. I've been visiting Hope for approximately a month. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Very family-oriented guy. Uh, I've always had family as my strong support system. So I pledged a fraternity uh, the first semester of my sophomore year in college, and things began to spiral downward from there. I uh, began to drink heavily, began to party a lot. I began to only want to participate in school functions when it was related to the fraternity. Rock bottom for me in that experience was finding out that my girlfriend was pregnant. It led to, uh, it led to frustration on my end with her. And, uh, which led to domestic violence because I was, uh, I was frustrated and rather than looking at the things within me that I could have done to prevent the situation or even make the situation better. I put things out on her that she didn't deserve that led to us separating. And she moved back to Birmingham and I stayed uh, in college for a semester to try to get things back on track, but they never got on track from there. I ended up having to uh, sit out and I moved back to Birmingham. I ended up here in Raleigh by hard work in Birmingham and pulling myself together and initially putting myself back in school. My girlfriend uh, and my son moved up. Uh, from there, I proposed. Fast forwarding, I'm on vacation, just relaxing. I go get my car washed, the weather's beautiful. And what I would describe as an episode occurred. Later on, I realized that they were seizures. I went to my primary physician. She said, yeah, you probably need to have an MRI, but we may not be able to get you scheduled for an MRI until later on. Maybe about two days after that MRI, she called me back into her office and sat me down. And she told me that it appeared as if I had a lesion in my brain. At that moment, I think I had another seizure again. And I just remember getting in my car and driving home, just crying. It, everything felt like it had just been washed away and as if something had said, you have something wrong with your brain and you're about to die. Growing up, you perceive living a lone life, but when you're presented with Oh, you need surgery, it means, oh yeah, your life has now been cut. But faith immediately kicked in. Maybe God put me here to be with the best surgeons and he waited until I had a good job to cover the insurance needed to perform the operation. I mean, I just started thinking about how things were coming together and I knew this didn't happen by chance. This is God that not only reassured me that things would be okay, it let me know that I needed to have faith in God to begin with. And if you talk to Julian, he'll tell you that it's an incredible story of being redeemed from the pit. But yet, we've all been there. We've all been redeemed. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. We spent our time on the auction block of sin, shackled and chained to our past and our sins and our failures. But one day, God showed up. And he outbid everybody else. And he purchased us. And he pulled out the keys of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And he unlocked the chains and he unlocked the shackles. And they fell off and he set us free to serve him and be the people that he created us to be. If you're throwing yourself a pity party this weekend, maybe you just need to spend a few minutes thinking back and remembering what life was like in the pit. And I promise you, you will become instantly grateful. And then David continues in verse 4. He says, he crowned you with love 
and compassion. Do you know the story of Mephibosheth? Try to say that ten times fast. Mephibosheth. It goes all the way back to King Saul, the first king in the nation of Israel. Well, Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. Remember, he was David's best friend. Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth, which means Mephibosheth was the great King Saul's grandson. And this story took place in the days when uh, if one dynasty overthrew another dynasty, everybody in that previous dynasty, they were killed. The leadership, all the family members of that king, everybody was executed. Everybody was put to death so there, there wouldn't be any reprisal. And just as God had predicted, Saul was overthrown by David, and David became the new king of Israel. And then the word began to move and spread throughout Israel that there's a new king on the throne, that Saul has fallen, and that David is the new king. And remember, in those days, there was no Twitter, there was no CNN, there was no Facebook, and so word spread mouth to mouth. Finally, one day, word made it to the home of Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth was just a young child. In fact, he was so young, he had a nurse that took care of him. And when she received word that Saul's kingdom had fallen and she was taking care of Saul's grandson, she knew that his life was marked, that his life was in danger. So she decided, I've got to find a place to, uh, to, to secure him. I've got to find a safe place to keep him. And she begins to gather up everything because she's got to get out of Dodge, right? And as she's hurrying to get out of town, she drops this little boy, Mephibosheth, and the Bible tells us that when she dropped him, he was injured and he became crippled in both of his feet. Well, a little time later, and David's now sitting on the throne. One day, he's sitting and he asks some of his attendants in the throne room, is there anybody left from Saul's family that I can show kindness and compassion to? And maybe a soldier spoke up and he says, well, Jonathan actually has a son. It's Saul's grandson. His name is Mephibosheth. But we didn't bother him because he's just such a little boy and he's lame. He's crippled in both feet. We saw no harm that he could ever do. He's living down in a place called Lodabar, which means barren wasteland. And David says to his soldiers, go get him. Now imagine what Mephibosheth was thinking as the drapes were pulled back the day he heard knocking on the door and he realized that David's soldiers were standing on the front porch. He had to be thinking, it is over. But if you read the story... They take Mephibosheth and they bring him to David and the story concludes Mephibosheth lived in the king's palace and he ate at the king's table all the days of his life. Now you have to picture this scene, okay? Picture King David's table. Picture, picture his children that are sitting around the table. First of all, you got Absalom. The Bible describes Absalom as just perfection from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And then beside Absalom, you got Solomon, the wisest person who has ever lived, builders of one of, the, one of the great seven wonders of the world. And then over here, you have beautiful Tamar. And then you have Joab, uh, who is a handsome and brilliant and brave military commander. And then sitting next to Joab, you have little crippled Mephibosheth, living life large as one of the king's sons. One of the greatest examples I've ever read in the Bible of love and compassion. And in reality, before God, see, that's where we were. We were living in Lodabar. We were living in this barren wasteland of sin and hopelessness. And God came after us and he picked us up and he brought us back to his house. And he welcomed us at the table as one of his children. And when everything seemed lost, when everything seemed like there was no hope and there was no future... He crowned us with love and compassion. 
That's Christy's story. I was 37. I actually met my husband in law school and we both had great careers. We lived in a really nice house. It seemed like we were in a place to start trying to have a family. What I did not know was that my husband was making plans for the future and um, definitely thinking about a family and he was just doing that with someone else. If you would have asked me three and a half, four years ago, whenever, I would have told you I was a Christian. Um, but it was when my life fell apart that I went um, and I found that Bible that I received when I was confirmed that had my name in the front cover that I took with me to college and I brought back home and I took with me to law school and I took to my apartment and I brought to my marital home. I pulled it out for the first time and um, through a series of events I started reading in the Bible. One day, I just felt like I needed to get outside, and my neighbor Steve, he came running by, and he asked me a question about my husband. I just looked at him. He looked past me, and the garage door was open, and they could see that a lot of the stuff that had been in the garage was gone. He invited me to his, to his home for dinner with he and his wife and his kids, and then they invited me to church. Um, so I came to hope at a time when my life had completely fallen apart. I started Hope about the same time that Starting Point started. It was a comfortable place to ask questions and there were hard questions that not only I had, but the people around me who were starting to see that transition in me, that they had the same questions that I had when I was seeking. And all of us coming together and kind of building this friendship and this bond that is still you know, in my life today. And uh, I met one of the teachers as one of my current best friends. So she, I think one of the best things I got from Starting Point was her. And since going through Starting Point, uh, I've started a small group. I volunteer in Kid City. And as someone who does not have children, God gives me the opportunity to dance and sing, play games and hug little kids. And I love that. I can't even imagine what my life would be like if I never came to Hope. And Starting Point is part of that story. My Starting Point story is my salvation story, and I think that's pretty cool. And that's how God's love and compassion works. I mean, when you're going through those valleys and you're going through those storms and you think you have no future and that all is lost, God comes along and he says, oh, no, no, no. I got a plan for you. I got a plan for your future. And he crowns you with love and compassion. And he reminds you that he cares for you. We learned a song here a few weeks ago, and, and it's, it's entitled that he's a good, good father. And as we were putting this service together this week, and I thought, what a great place for us just to stand and be reminded of that and worship and sing that together. So would you stand with us as Devin and Justine as they lead us in this song together?
And then David concludes in verse 5. He says this. He satisfies your desires with good things. This is one of my favorite stories. I grew up in uh, a suburb in New York. Got a little congested over the years. And uh, my wife and I decided to uh, check out Raleigh. My home improvement business found work immediately. The remodel business and home construction was booming and I was working 15, 16 hour days, seven days a week. Uh, and then it got to the point where uh, it hurt our marriage. Uh, we both kind of drifted away from each other even though we lived in the same home. And I felt I was doing the right thing by working and providing. Uh, my wife, I guess, needed more emotional, physical support. So she went elsewhere and had an affair. And uh, I had no idea that was even happening. I guess because I was so wrapped up being busy, I thought I was doing the right thing. And uh, I, I left the home. Uh, I felt that I, I didn't deserve what had happened. A client of mine invited me to come to Hope. At that point, uh, I felt that I didn't need religion. I needed an attorney. And when I finally agreed to come, when I got here, I, I said, well, where's the church? It didn't look like a church to me. <laughs> Not what I'm used to. And then the music started and they were playing songs and, and Mike Lee was just talking about these things, about relationships. I fell in love with the place. And then, unknown to me, my wife was asked to come to this same church by friends of hers. 
And after I got wind of all that, I mean, the, the anger and the frustration that I had inside just kind of started disappearing. And as the weeks went by and we spent more and more time together, uh, we met with a bunch of the pastors here, Mike Lee especially. And he looked at me in his office one day and said, you need to get back home and we need to start working on your marriage. And within a year, we came to church every weekend without missing a service. We grew. We decided to get baptized together. Our marriage is so much better now than it ever was before. We now volunteer to help other struggling marriages. Once we tell them our testimony, they look at us and say, wow, <laughs> if you can get through that and come back from that, we can as well. And if we can just help one couple, it just makes all this worthwhile. He satisfies your desires with good things. And you know, when they say we're here every week, they are here every week. In fact, I was talking to them last weekend, and, uh, and I was telling them I was so encouraged. I didn't know that they had been asked to share their video, and I was, I was thanking them for taking, because it's not easy to get up on a big screen like that and open up your life and, and air everything that's been going on in your life. But this is what they said to me standing right down here as I was talking. They said, we never had any idea how great life could be. And now, you know what they're doing? They're helping and working with other couples who think they have no hope. And they're saying, no, no, no. If God could fix us, he can fix you. And not only that, they said, you know, we've met this homeless guy. We started reaching out in the community. And when we see people, we, we try to build a relationship with him. And he says, we bought him new clothes. And they said, he's coming to our house for Thanksgiving. And then they added, by the way, on, on the second floor, there's a family at Hope of Four. They're going through a tough time financially. So they're living on the second floor of our house. And they're like, life has never, ever been better. You know, it tells us when James wrote the little book of James, he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, comes down from the Father above. And maybe you just need to be reminded this weekend of the fact that God's desire, his desire for you is to satisfy your desires with good things. This is how the prophet Jeremiah said it in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He says, God's, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Last weekend, if you were here, we learned a, a brand new song. And Trey was leading here last week. And when he introduced it, he says, you know, when you really dig deep down inside, you find that you don't have just one or two reasons to be grateful and to have a heart of gratitude but there are literally thousands. In fact, this song is entitled 10,000 Reasons. And I want to close our time together this weekend by just having us stand together, and I want us to sing this, and I want to sing it as our praise of anthem to God to thank him for the goodness that he's poured out in our lives. Would you stand as Devin and Justine? Let's just sing it together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day. 
just a bow and before I dismiss you I just I want you to just thank God for some things that we've talked about this weekend first of all thank him for forgiving your sins thank him for healing all of your emotional diseases thank him for redeeming your life from the pit thank him for his love and compassion and for inviting you to be at his table and thank him for his desire to satisfy you with good things. And now before I pray, you thank him 
for the incredible gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Through the shedding of his blood and the resurrection of his body from the tomb, we can now have this relationship with God where there is no condemnation. Father, you're an awesome God. And as David wrote, we, we say, bless your name, praise your name. Because, Father, you never promised us a rose garden. You never said that this life is going to be unending joy. In fact, you've promised us that it will be full of sorrow and suffering and storms and valleys. But one day, we will get together with you as we just sang. When our life is over, that, 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 that James says it's just the vapors here and then it's gone. Devin, would you just lead us in that course one more time? And I want to hear your voices as we sing it. Just bless the Lord, all my soul. Let's sing it. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship is holy name. Sing like this. Oh, oh. 